Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And today, Father, I wanted to continue off of one of the conversations we were having about in the last cast about looking at the Old Testament and trying to to see how it correlates to the New Testament and to our lives now and what's going on. And one of the things I've been doing over the last while, that I actually can remember when I started, was I just started a Genesis and just started reading through it in order. And I'm about midway through Jeremiah here. Um, a lot of themes in the Old Testament seems to be about three main ones in in what we're going with here. And and just pretty much wanted to see if we can have a conversation about the Old Testament. Is you brought out some examples that I missed actually listening listening to the last cast going through again about how you mentioned Genesis, about how they were switching back and forth from the three people talking to Abraham, but they kept writing E, and you know I I just oversaw that. So with that being said, if if you could give me some guidance to start going down this conversation the right way and making sure that. I'm reading it the right way and making the, the correct interpretations. Well, I give you a ton of credit, first of all, Joe, to move your way through the Old Testament like that. I, most people, like practically every other person I've spoken to who's tried to do that, uh, has gotten stuck somewhere, usually about Leviticus, and is going, what is this all about? Why am I even bothering with this? What does this have to do with anything? So yeah, Chronicles the fact that you could push your way... Yes, Chronicles is another one. Now, those those books are all, in fact, very rich, but if you don't know the context, you don't know what they're pointing to, you don't know the, you know, it's hard to keep track of these names and the different mm-hmm. characters, and it gets it gets tough. So, uh, really, I give you a lot of credit. And, and one way that you can do that is by not paying attention to all of the details, like the one I brought out from Genesis, yeah. that... We, uh, you know, we have to kind of keep pushing through, and we don't pay attention to that level of uh, subtlety. So that's not uh, anything against you at all, but uh, rather hearing about these kinds of things, exploring these things, can help you to tune in to things as you're going through, or it can help you to go back to some of those places and, and appreciate it again. So uh, you mentioned the book of the prophet Jeremiah, and one of the... Uh, points in the prophet Jeremiah is he speaks about a new covenant, a new and eternal covenant. Yeah, that's and actually just where I left off. On. <laughs> hey, yeah. great. Well, Jesus uses that same phrase, and we hear it every day at Mass. This is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. So, those words uh, repeated by the church in the Mass and the words of institution uh, are the words of Jesus, and they point back to Jeremiah. He's the one that talks about this new and eternal covenant, and he talks about a covenant that will be that will be for all people, not just for the Jews. It be, it's a universal covenant, and it's also uh, a covenant that's written on our hearts, and so uh, we will know the Lord uh, as. As water covers the sea, so will knowledge of God cover the earth. You know, so everybody will really know, come to know the Lord, and in a, in a heartfelt way, in a deep way, and 
in, the, in our depths, we know him. So that, that new and eternal covenant is an example from the prophet Jeremiah that we bring out. Now, there's a lot of stuff in Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremiah also talks about the, the potter and the clay, mm-hmm. and that's a great image for us to draw from in our understanding of, uh, of Jesus and of uh, God the Father who creates us, that we are like clay in his hands. You know, so these these things are certainly not in contradiction to the New Testament. They really provide support for it. Um, Jeremiah also experiences persecution for being a prophet. He suffers in many ways from the, in the hands of those who are jealous of his power. Both religious authorities and secular, you know, civil authorities persecute him, and and uh, so in that way he prefigures Christ. Mm-hmm. Jesus also would suffer like that because he spoke the truth. Uh, a prophet is one who is so close to the heart and mind of God that he really feels the the divine desire, that he feels the desire of God so that Jeremiah says, my heart is burning within me. Woe to me if I do not speak. Uh, he says, I, I tried to hold it in and it was too much for me. It was burning in my bones, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's the real call of the prophet. He's so in tune with with God's desire for justice and for God's proclamation of truth and for God's expression of love that he just can't hold it back. He's got to speak it. And in speaking it, in many cases, and certainly in Jeremiah's case, there are those who don't want to hear it. And those who have power and don't want to hear it can even use that power to suppress and to persecute so we see that in Jesus. Jesus is not only a prophet. He is the prophet par excellence. He is the prophet who not only feels God, but is God, and is able to speak that out. And so we see this prefiguration of prophecy in Jeremiah that's fulfilled in Christ, uh, who also suffers in the same ways as Jeremiah does. Uh, so those are just a couple of examples of how the Old Testament, you refer to the prophet Jeremiah, those are some things that come to mind for me about how the Old Testament is really connected to the New Testament. It prepares the way for it. It sets up different categories and images and uh, insights that then find their fulfillment in Christ. Yeah, and um, yeah, and, and they kind of, as you said in a prior one, every book's written differently, so the Bible's more like a library in that sense, so once right. you kind of take that and take that they're all written by different people um, type deal um, I, I think that that was an adjustment too but it, it basically seemed that you know you have that whole section from Joshua and Judges and Samuel where they're all just basically wars like crazy um, Joshua's going through and taking over everything and then they all just keep going to war with the same general theme through now, I guess all the way through David they're going to war, aren't they? Um, but anyway, um, the, the, it's just that when they did what God said, it was going good. They did it for a while, and then they stopped passing it on to their kids, who then had less of a concentrate, who passed less on to their kids, and then it got away, and then problems and chaos had. So I guess in that way, that's the same situation we're having today with 
with at least in, in Diocese of Pittsburgh when they were bringing out all those stats about how, you know, the amount of people who baptism, communion, confirmation of marriage, they went through it for the people in the 70s. It was almost 100% fulfillment through all four categories. Then as time went on, all right, a couple of people are now not getting married in the church. Now a couple of people aren't getting a confirmation. Now a couple of people only are getting baptized. And you can see it just tilting away. So in that same regards, you, you kind of see the same thing happening today. Now hopefully not with all the, uh, the, the, the penalties that God gave to the Israelites back then. But you can kind of see that same theme happening here today. So that was one of the, the, the observations I made. And then one of the other questions I had, and this was coming, I guess, since Jeremiah is the one I'm reading right now, was something I was actually talking to Teresa about, was he. one of the things that Jeremiah is doing is he's calling out and criticizing all the false prophets around him. He's going around and telling all the Israelites that, hey, you guys aren't listening to God. Babylon's coming in. They're taking you over. This is going to happen. Deal with it. And there's all these false prophets saying, Jeremiah has no idea what he's talking about. Get rid of him. Quiet his voice, etc. And the question that I had was, we were told and taught to not follow false prophets. But we're also taught at some point, Jesus is going to come back. What happens if you... You, you, you mix that thing up and say I don't want to listen because I don't know if this is actually Jesus and I don't want to listen in case he is indeed a false prophet I don't want to go down that road well those are uh, both great observations Joe in terms of uh, well the kind of the ways that things go wrong when we don't listen to God and then uh, how do we know how do we distinguish a false prophet from a real prophet mm -hmm. right so just to comment briefly on the first point, that things go wrong when we don't listen to God. And that's a great insight to draw from the Old Testament. That's clearly something that is, is intended to be communicated. And the way that uh, our connection with God can kind of go downhill uh, is we, if we don't pass it on properly to the subsequent generations. Uh, it needs to be revived in every generation. Pope Benedict made a beautiful point about this in his encyclical on hope. He said, we often have this illusion, delusion, that if we created the proper structure, we could guarantee that the faith would be passed on. Yeah. You know, we could guarantee justice. If we just had the perfect government, if we had the perfect, uh, you know, diocesan structure, if we had the perfect whatever, we could guarantee that things will be good in the next generation. But he said, if we did that, we would actually be taking away freedom. Mm -hmm. If we could guarantee that things would be good, we would be forcing people to behave in a certain way. We would have taken away freedom, and that would, by definition, not be good. Yeah. So the structure, the decision, has to be renewed in every generation. You know, technology can keep building. Our technology has steadily increased, but morality needs to be renewed from the beginning again and again. That is to say, every generation has to make its own choice to do good. There's no, we can't build on the shoulders of previous generations in morality. So, 
that, that decision falls on each one of us. Each one of us has to make the decision to live the good aspects of our parents, to carry on the faith, to pass it on, etc. So, and, and it's true, when things start to get bad, you know, God tries to let us know. One of the ways that he lets us know is he lets things get bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he lets things start to fall apart, and that's what you're reading in the Old Testament. The Israelites get defeated. They get overtaken by Babylon. They get overtaken by, uh, by Assyria. They, they get conquered. The temple gets destroyed. Bad things happen. They're, they're struck by, uh, by different kinds of disasters. And those are all wake-up calls. And in those times, they're more motivated to recognize their own weakness and to cry out to God. And that's a blessing for them, as it is for us. In those difficult times in life, it's a blessing for us to recognize our own weakness and cry out to God. And sometimes that's what it takes, is God has to withdraw from us a little bit so that we're left in our own power and we fall flat on our face, and then we realize it's better to live with him than to live without him. Mm-hmm. He does that for us as individuals. He does that for us as families, as communities, even as nations. So uh, those are great lessons to draw from from the uh, the Old Testament, from the historical books, that's you know Chronicles and First and Second Samuel and uh, Judges and all those things are are part of the historical books of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of uh, uh, what was the other question now? <laughs> the, the, the false prophet. Thank you, the false prophet. In terms of discernment. How do we recognize, how do we distinguish a false prophet from a real prophet? Well, Jesus says you can judge them by their fruits. Uh, what's, the, what's the fruits of, of this person's prophecy? And I like to refer then to the fruits of the Spirit as St. Paul recognizes them. Love is foremost, and then we could almost subdivide love into all of the other fruits. Joy, peace patience, kindness, faithfulness, generosity, forgiveness, gentleness, self-control. So when we see people who are manifesting those kinds of fruits in their lives, then we should be more inclined to also listen to their message. The, the, the fruits, uh, the life and the message go together. Now Jesus gave us a an exception to this when there are those who are invested with an office of teaching who may not, who might be uh, hypocritical, who might not live that out as they teach it. But that even applies to the Pope and the bishops, priests to a, a lesser degree, but to a real degree. Um, but sometimes we should listen to them. They do speak truth to us because the Holy Spirit does guide that, but we don't see the fruits in their lives. But they're also not prophets, they're teachers. It's a little different vocation in the, uh, in the Christian dispensation. So, uh, but in terms of prophets, all, all of us are actually baptized priest, prophet, and king. We're baptized to be able to speak out the truth, to the, the truth that we receive from God. Who are the people we should listen to? Again, listen to the people who manifest those fruits in their lives. And uh, that's going to be a, a good starting point, a good discernment for the, the real prophets. This might be a realization I had, I don't know, when we record the holiness one about a month or so ago, maybe longer than that. 
when I was thinking in, in preparation for this cast, I kind of had the thought of, you know, basically I can do anything that biologically my body can do. Like, I, I can't be a mother, but I can be a father, I can be a firefighter, I can be a policeman, I can have any type of job out there basic, basically that I can think of. You know, if I would just spend my time to figure it out, I could do it. You know, research cancer, whatever. So, but the one thing that I figured that wouldn't be able to be done would be be a prophet. But if I'm just understanding what you just said here is that's the wrong way of thinking of this. Well, uh, the comment holds, you know, you can do what your body enables you to do in terms of physical things. You can do what your soul enables you to do in terms of spiritual things. And all I said is that everybody's soul is enabled with prophecy mm -hmm. by baptism. You know, so now again, we have to understand prophecy is not telling the future. Mm -hmm. That's often what prophecy gets reduced to. But prophecy is being in relationship with God and expressing the heart and mind of God, and oh. and maybe with in some unique ways. How, so, how's that different than what you just said about priests being a teacher? Uh, well, one can teach the the truth. So we have the truth in the Catechism, for example, mm -hmm. and. One can speak that truth, which is uh, a, a kind of objective reality. So priests might be trained in knowing the catechism. They might be able to repeat the words of Scripture, and they're, you know, God does have a vested interest in guiding, guiding us that way. So priests to one extent, but bishops especially, and the Pope can't teach error. So the Holy Spirit prevents the Pope from teaching error. Uh, that's how powerful that protection is. Now, the Pope might be a very unholy person, and the Holy Spirit might teach, might prevent the Pope from teaching anything. But uh, that kind of teaching is a little bit different than the than prophecy, which is entrusted to everybody. Okay. Um, what's an example of prophecy then? So maybe. Uh, Maybe I'm listening to you, Joe, and uh, I, I give you a you know a word from the Lord. E even to a certain extent, the kind of thing that we're doing here that's a little bit more free form. And I say, uh, actually, I have a good example. I was at a I was at a prayer meeting about a week ago, and uh, one of the brothers spoke out, and he said, "I'm getting a word, brothers. Uh, an image is coming to me." that we're, you know, maybe somebody here, maybe all of us are, are standing in a prison cell and the door is open and Christ is standing in the doorway and he's really inviting us to step out, step out of that prison. It's a powerful word. Mm -hmm. you know, and there were a couple of the guys there who, who really responded to that and said, wow, you know, that just gave me a lot of freedom to feel like I'm I'm holding myself bound, but Christ is giving me the grace to step out of this prison that I'm that I've put myself in. That's a prophetic word. Uh, it's it's one example. You know, we might have a a prophetic word that comes, uh, you know, through our prayer, and some, uh, so we might have an, an image from prayer that's uh, we we feel moved to speak to somebody. Maybe we're even just kind of taking somebody's uh issues into prayer with us. I know a guy who's 
who's having a lot of struggles and uh, maybe I feel like the Lord is really telling him uh, trust me settle down it's going to be okay he, he tends to like do a lot of talking and he uh, gets real worked up about a lot of things and, and just comes to me in prayer I feel like the Lord's telling him it's going to be okay trust in, trust in God and uh, he's going to work through it take your time it's going to be alright now I always want to check out those things mentally does that make sense to me mm-hmm. you know is it, is it completely off, off base um, but I can I can then see that yeah yeah that's uh, that makes sense I can see how he really needs that and and how the Lord would want to communicate that to him so anyway those are uh, some some little prophetic words and we see you know Jeremiah uses that image of the potter and the clay uh, that's a great image mm-hmm. of who, who the clay doesn't say to the potter this is how you should make me mm-hmm. the clay takes what it can get yeah you know. Um, so anyway, we see some of those images, some of those words, and we can be open to that. Every one of us, by our Christian Christian baptism, and then those gifts can even be empowered in us in a, in a more radical way by the Holy Spirit, um, can be prophets. And then, um, that makes a lot of sense. But going back to, to where I kind of began this with the Old Testament, specifically the first half of the Old Testament, because that's all I've gone through so far, um, barring what you hear at church every week, um, so, one of the themes that had not come up that I kind of figured was coming was the concept of immortal life. It, none of the first half of the books have it. I thought Ecclesiastics was going to go there because that book was depressing about how nothing you do in life is worthless because you're going to end up dying in the ground and decaying. And I'm like, this has to be going down the direction of immortal life. And then it didn't. Unless I missed something, it didn't. And it was just like, however long it was, all super depressing, kind of a little uplifting at the end, but not really, relative to everything you had just read. So that was the one that I just, I I think I'm flat out missing something there, because that book just seems sad. Uh, Well, you you make a great observation, Joe, that the concept of... uh, immortal life or eternal life is not something that emerged until maybe the last 100 years, 150 years before Christ. And all those books that you've read so far were written more than 150 years before Christ. Um, now, they, they didn't necessarily believe that life was just extinguished. They had a sense of this place of the dead of Sheol, which is kind of like the underworld or a place of suspended animation you can pick up some, some different pieces about that in the Psalms, and but uh, uh, Ecclesiastes does make one comment. It's the only thing that it's the only ray of light in that whole book. But uh, the author uh, Ecclesiastes Kohelis says God has placed the eternal in our hearts, and we are made for that. Something along those lines. I think it's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, sort of buried in the midst of some other things. But what Ecclesiastes is getting at, and the book of Job has a similar kind of focus, is recognizing how empty the things of this life are. That if this life is all there is, then we should be pretty depressed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, 
And St. Paul kind of sets, speaks about that too, and he says, if there's no resurrection, we are the most pitiable of creatures. You know, if this life is all there is, like, what, what is the point? Mm-hmm. Really, what are we living for? And so Ecclesiastes is really addressing that question and, and shoving your face in it, you know, yeah. which you felt. You're like, yeah, man, what is the point? Um, but that was a point in, in the Jewish history where the people were kind of wrestling with this idea. You know, it's a sort of philosophical question, and they're, they're wrestling with that. How do we understand that? And Ecclesiastes made this act of faith. God did place the eternal in our hearts. St. Augustine said it in a more poetic way, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O God. And that's the experience that we have. All those things of this world leave us restless, but ultimately our rest can come in God. And so, as I said, the the development of an understanding of eternal life didn't really come about. The, the real sense was blessing in this life. You can see that in Psalm 1 very clearly. Happy the man uh, who's... Uh, yeah, the the jai can't quote this out of context. Fine, anyway, um, some someone really gives you this contrast between the one who follows the law and is blessed, or the one who disobeys the law and is cursed. Just a very simplistic, you know. Uh, sometimes we call it the health and wealth gospel. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. uh, you'll be blessed if you do good, and you'll be cursed if you do bad. And there's truth to that, but it's not the ultimate truth. And that's where Job, likewise, he did everything right. Mm-hmm. And still he ended up with these horrible experiences. Clearly that's not the case. And then ultimately we have that in Christ, who did everything right. He was God, and he mm-hmm. suffered worse than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Okay, there must be more to the story than just what's in this life. And we only really understand this life in light of eternity, which now has been fully revealed to us in Christ, and we have the full flowering of that in the, in the New Testament. And, and that makes a lot more sense. Okay, so so as we continue through the, uh, the, I'm sure we'll do one once I finally finish it. So six months or so from now, whatever that will be. But um, we'll, we'll 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 do a second half of it later on. So again, Father, I definitely want to thank you for helping us um, today in our our cast. I, I know that our, our listeners definitely enjoy it. And to the listeners, we ask that you keep continuing to uh, subscribe to us give us the great reviews that you have been and also please follow us at Father and Joe on Twitter and retweet us whenever we let us know that all the new content's coming out as we tend to do that each Monday before the Tuesday releases so thank you guys for listening have a great week everyone and thank you again Father <laughs>